Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you and God bless. All right. That means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. We're glad you're with us in this new year, 2023. And uh, we'll begin this year as we've begun every year and every show uh, with our prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to the new year. It is 2023. The first show. Wow. 2023. Amazing. Who'd have thunk? Well, my birthday was yesterday. So Happy uh, birthday, Trey. 58 years old. When you're listening to this, it'll have been two days ago. Awesome. But Look good, man. Sheesh. 58. You have a lot. Of, I've had a lot of accomplishments, a lot of uh, blessings. Oh, I have a lot of blessings. I got you to spend, and, you and your spend wife have all the lot. weekend with, uh, with the greatest blessings that we've had on this planet and our six kids and and one daughter-in-law so um really grateful for that time it was a lot of fun to be with them Mm -hmm. um on my birthday and on my birthday weekend so anyway um just made me realize how old i am uh when my our babies are 21 and you know in less than Five months or right at five. They have months. turned twenty one now. Yeah, they'll be twenty two. And uh Wow. So anyway, well I, I think just in keeping with that, we're gonna finally finish this Familiaris Consortia, which we've been doing forever, and of course there was a hiatus. It is a they, dense document. I mean it is, and this is just lot. just for all of you. We haven't you know, even covered this is just really a all section yeah. a section that we've been going through. And when we got to the end, uh, there was a section that I thought was really important because I think it, it it teaches us that that each of us individually and then even our families are are meant to participate in um, Christ as prophet priest and king and I think lots of times we we don't I think I know that when I first heard those, I was like, I don't, what does that mean? And how does that look? And that's kind of what this talks about. And I think it's important. Um, cause I think most of the time when you hear profit, it's somebody's like predicting the future or, or something like that, which it could be, but that's not really what they mean here. Um, priest, you know, you think of the, of the priest, how, well, how does that tie in with me what does that have as to a do dad, with me? with me as a dad? Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to be king? Um, from a Christian perspective. And I think, so it's a good reminder as we go through this that, that each of us is called to those three roles and each of us by our baptism, by our baptism, baptism, I don't know, <laughs> by our baptism, um, share in those roles as part of the body of Christ. And, hey, and can I'll, I say something about kingship real quick? Yeah. I was thinking about this on on Sunday. It was, it was the epiphany that we celebrated on Sunday. And, you know, something that's really interesting about Christ's kingship versus Herod's kingship um, is that 
Herod really was not a sovereign king. He was not a, a real king. Yeah. Um, he had been, insofar as he only served at the um, enjoyment of the Romans. If, the, if he, right. As soon as he was no longer valuable to them or if he tried to cross them, he was oh. gone. Yeah. He was gone. Which is why he was so worried about <laughs> right <laughs> about the baby being born. Right. So you have this you have this puppet king, this king who who doesn't even really stand on his own authority. His his authority came from his overlords. Right. Um, contrasted with the the king of the universe, the right the savior, the Messiah, the anointed one right. of God. And I and again, the pretender king lives in a palace. The the real king. the legitimate king who has his own he, who is his own source source of authority is born in a, in a manger in a stable right and that there's there's so much there to you know to talk about I I again always get back to the fact that how many people walked by or came by and was wondering like what the what is what are these the epiphany what are these people from another country mm-hmm. doing and mm-hmm. And oh, they're whatever, and they must have walked by. How many people miss um, sure. what it really means to be a king? Sure. Um, so, And in some respects, you know, also every earthly authority is a pretender king. Every earthly authority only has its authority in the end from God because God is a, right. either wants it actively to have authority, worldly authority, or is allowing Right. He's allowing and it God's to happen in his, in his and, providence. In his providence, yeah. And I think that's another important point. That's one of my one of my favorite lines during the Passion is when you know when uh, Pontius Pilate says, you know, don't you know that I have the power over your life and death? And mm-hmm. and and his response is, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you by the Father. Mm-hmm. And so. I think that's, that's one of that's one of the like of one of the most bold proclamations by Christ of his own power and authority in all of the gospels. Right. It's it's very rare that he kind of asserts himself right. that way. And from a human perspective, it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, um but he does say that you know, if if it wasn't for me then I would have angels and exactly. people fighting for Fighting for me, so right, right. Um, anyway, we're digressing. We're way and digress, we need which to. Is all right. to but let's go because we are finishing this. And we're gonna. Sorry. We're gonna. No, no. I'm glad those are great things to talk about. Um, and and they they will fit as we get to the to the kingship part of it, as well. Um, and so it, just at the end of where we, I think we may have started on this, but there's this line leading into this section, which says what we've gone through, it says having laid the foundation. So what we previous three or four, I mean, every shows we've done on this, that foundation of the participation of the Christian family in the church's mission, it's now time to illustrate its substance in reference to Jesus Christ as prophet, priest, and King by presenting the family as, and these, so these line up with each of them. So, so prophet would be, a believing and evangelizing a community. A priest would be a community in dialogue with God, which is an interesting definition. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not really a definition, but that's where they're doing it. And then king, a community at the service of man, which in and of itself, as we get to it, is kind of of contradicts the human view of what a king is for. Yeah. Um, So anyway, we'll we'll jump in. Um, The first section on prophetic role of of a family and, and and of us but um is the christian is a believing and evangelizing community and so um here's a line that kind of says well, what what makes the prophetic role or how do i know if i'm fulfilling it? it says the christian family fulfills its prophetic role by welcoming and announcing the word of god it thus becomes more and more each day a believing and evangelizing community that's that's what it means to be a prophet um, is to be a believing and evangelizing community and so 
the next line, which is the next paragraph, is Christian spouses and parents are required to offer the obedience of faith. That's a line, um, I believe, from Romans, uh, I believe, 5. And um, it's something that that Paul uses, the term obedience of faith. And what that means is, I was I was looking it up because I was trying to figure out how how to how to explain it. It means there's a faith, and again, so many times, it's really important to remember when when the word faith is used. There's a couple ways it can be used. Faith can be used in trust, right, trusting God, and faith can also mean the content of the faith. So when we talk about the faith. We're talking about what's the content, what's the what are the doctrines, what do we believe as Christians? We say every Sunday we say um, the creed, which is I believe. So, and then it goes through. You know, I believe in God the Father. You know, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, all these different things, resurrection of the body, and all of those would fall under this idea of faith. This obedience of faith, I think, is the intersection of those two aspects of the trusting in God, you know, faith in that sense, and the content of the faith. Because the obedience of faith means I'm going to live in accordance with what God's Word, who is Jesus, has revealed to us about what we're meant for. And if you remember this entire first part was all about that we're meant for love and be at the service of life, that from love flows life, and that love is this free gift of oneself to others. And so I think that that's, it's important to remember that when we say obedience of faith, that means, you know, there was one, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but when the kids were little, there was an old, uh, Care Bear was a was a I don't know if you ever seen it, but it was a little deal. But, oh, but I remember the Care Bears. Okay, one of the one of the lines the Care Bear would would say is, you know, God said it, so I believe it. And when we say we believe something, I mean when we really believe something, we actually have to act on it. We have to be obedient to what we believe, and that's what this obedience of faith is, and that's where. Um, to be a prophet means. I mean, because I think John Paul in other places talks about, well, really a, a, a prophet is somebody who is a servant of the truth. Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but at the service of what is true. And so part of being a prophet is we have to know what's true, and then we have to live what's true. And in our life and in our words, we have to proclaim to this world through our example and through our words, um, what is true? This is a really fascinating intersection with our Catholic youth sports initiative, Victory Sports. We right. just started basketball season this last Friday. Yeah, our first virtue um, was we teach a virtue every right. single week. Our first virtue was obedience. Right. Yeah, uh, and we taught we defined it for the kids: obedience being doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason with with the right attitude and to the best of our ability. So that's how we kind of broke obedience down. But this is a whole nother, this is a great angle on obedience um, that can be very active for them in their family life and in their right uh, their their role as children within the family. So 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 leading up to this there's been a lot of talk about what, what marriage is, what its role is, all those type of things. How has God revealed his plan for marriage and for family life and those type of things. And so this section is getting, is going to get down to what does that, to, what does that mean? I've, I've, now I've heard what's true. How, how am I going to accept it? And am I going to give it the obedience of faith? Like you said, to, to do. So there was a lot of whys why does the church teach this? And to know why and to act upon it in a way that other people become aware of it. 
uh, through our actions and that we live consistent with that. So, um, yeah, anyway, I think, I think it's pretty, pretty cool thing. And then, uh, you know, we you know, hit something. Oh, I was just, it's, it's, um, I, I just think that is so significant in our day and age of relativism. Pope Benedict XVI talked about that dictatorship of relativism, um, a skepticism of just hyper skepticism about objective truth, objective reality, um, you know, material reality, um, natural law, tell, you know, being a, being a guide or, or a, a sign to us of how we should live and, and how we should act. That idea that, what we know to be true, it it doesn't give when we're when we're confronted with the truth, when we're encounter when we encounter the truth, we don't get to say, Well, I choose to ignore it. Right. You know, I mean, don't get to if if a, if an engineer is doing is running the equations on the factor of safety for a dam, a concrete dam, and my, my father was an engineer, and he explained how you can, there's all these equations that can be performed on the physics of the dam, and they come down to this 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 number, a factor of safety, and it has to be, um, it has to be below a certain threshold or above a certain threshold, I don't remember which one, and that, that tells you that the dam is within the parameters to be, to be safe. Right. You yeah, know? I think I would... If that number isn't is in the threshold of it's not safe, well, the engineer doesn't get to just say, "Well, I mean, it's going to take a lot of work, or it's going to be inconvenient or expensive to make these changes we need to to, to get within the factor of safety." Like, that's well, the you, truth. Well, you can't right, and you can't. And in reality, it's it's not really hard to disprove to disprove this idea that the truth is whatever I say it is. I mean, right. you know, in in reality, if if I say, well. I, I the truth is that gravity works a certain way, right? And I say well, I'm going to walk out the building because I don't believe that gravity works. The truth is going to hit you between the <laughs> the eyes, or you hitting the concrete. I mean, it, it and and we can't operate in freedom without without the truth. Right. I mean, I drove below a dam yesterday, going to the church we were going to, and I remember. I mean, the dam was this huge thing. We were driving right under it, knowing that there's a lake. Like if that went down, we'd be underwater. And just that Probably reality, smushed by the weight well, of water. Probably, exactly. I mean, we, right. I mean, and it was, there was a noticeable, my, one of my sons was like, that's kind of scary. I yeah. mean, if there wasn't truth and authority, you said this is big enough to handle right. what's going on. It gives us freedom. To right. go down that road, right? Not be afraid of. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. So don't jump off the building because gravity is true. <laughs> and don't drive under. I mean, or you can drive under the dam because we trust that the authority that's built it and revealed it is means it's safe enough to drive underneath it or right behind it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that that's kind of speaks analogically to to what the church is saying. God has revealed this. The church is just passing this on. And so if we want to live f in freedom, and this is what, that's where there's this disconnect today, in, particularly in relativism, that freedom is taught as license. I can do whatever I want. Well, if I do whatever I want and take no account in, of, of what is true, and I just say, I just want to do this bad thing, even though I know the truth is this, then either we get hurt or somebody else gets hurt, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Or lots of times both happen. And we've got to teach our kids that, that's, that there is truth that's out there, that, that, that we have to strive to learn, that we have to strive to live by. Right. And sin is when we violate that truth. Right. That's what sin is when we say... We, I, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. But also ignorance of the truth can be <laughs> can be a problem as well. Mm -hmm. So we do need to know 
the whys and the wherefores. And I, I think that goes back to the obedience to the it's the obedience of faith is also about that content of the faith. Hundred percent. Because if you familiarize yourself with Aquinas's five ways, his five proofs for the truth of the reality of God, existence of God. Well, that's five that's five sets of philosophical premises that you have to you know you have to deal with and and the consequences of the argument that comes out of those those premises. Right. But you've got five different sets of philosophical premises that are there for evaluation. But if if all five of those arguments and and those premises are are solid, they're convincing, they're they're true. Those premises are true and the reasoning from those premises is valid, then the conclusion is true. And so if God if God exists and then you study the content of the gospels and you study the content of and you study the reliability of the gospels and the resurrection right account, right? Right. And all those all that and that's all legitimate. Well, now you're confronted. You don't get to just. You don't get to just ignore it's that. Not an, it, it, I mean, you can't ignore it. I mean, the. But the then re- you're not. But you're not being intellectually honest, and so that's that's also what I think John Paul is talking about. Like you have right. to be obedient to the the truth of of the matter, or else you're not being. Uh, I think you would say you're not respecting your own dignity as a human being. I think it's true. You're you're not so you're disrespecting yourself, right? So I've always told my kids. I said, "Look, I mean, first, why do we believe what is said? Because he called his own shot." I mean, once again, we're going you know, off on a we are, but I think it goes back. To why do we believe? Why do we believe it? Because he said, "I'm going to die, and I'm going to be. I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to. I'm going to come back to life." Mm-hmm. Not just not res not resuscitated, resurrected, mm-hmm. die and then come back to life. So he called his own shot, and that he gave us. And we say in the creed, "I believe in the Catholic Church, right? The Holy Catholic Church," and that's the mechanism by which he allows his truth to be preserved and protected and guarded for our sake. Mm-hmm. Not not as a bunch of rule flaws. So why do rules exist for freedom? Mm-hmm. Because they because they know, and I, you've got. We really have to teach our kids that that truth and rules are not meant to limit us. They're actually meant to do it. I mean, there's so many different ways to show this, but I mean, you know, music, a piano has has all these, you know different keys and stuff. And if, if you just go bang on it, there's nothing beautiful about it. But if you follow the rules, well, this note sounds like this. And if you put this note next to this note, next to that note, you hold one a little longer than the other, then all of a sudden you have a, you have beautiful music. So it's the, it's the freedom of knowing how those things go together and how to make them happen that you have to follow in order to get good music. But nobody would say that's, it's ridiculous. You should be able to do whatever you want. Well, nobody would want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so all of these things that we've talked about before and on this show, if it is consistent with the truth, then it's to be followed for your sake. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's ways you teach your kids that the, 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 this prophetic role of teaching your kids I've always said it's better for me to give you the truth about what I see about you, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, in order for you to improve on those or to recognize these are the gifts. My job is not to lie to you and tell you, oh, you're really good at baseball if you're not. Now, you know, that doesn't mean you don't work at it. It doesn't mean... But but it's the truth. We've used the example of Colby when he was probably in sixth, seventh grade, said he wanted to be a running back. He was a little chunky, and he was not very fast, and I had actually said that. And and he's, you know, why are you, why are you 
putting me down. I said, I'm not putting you down. I'm telling you this. So you can do one of two things, decide to be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, or you can work on getting faster given your, given your gifts. And he said, well, I want to work on it. Well, so the truth led to a conversion and he ended up starting two years at running back at college station high school because he worked at it. But if I told him, Hey, everything's fine. Just be, just, you can be a running back if you want to, but I didn't say well, you got to get faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I've not helped him. That's not a loving thing to do. So love and truth go together. They're not, they're not counter to one another. Right. So if God gives us a truth to be followed that deserves the obedience of faith, because he said it, I believe it. And because I believe it, I'm going to live it that way. If, if we do that, then that's for our betterment, not, not as some sort of, well, he's limiting me. No, mm-hmm. he's not. He's actually, he's actually helping you become who you're meant to be by that. And so we as Christian couples in the context of this, what the church is saying you know, that you have, you're required, (laughs) you're required to offer the obedience of faith. And part of that is, okay, it may be, okay, this is what the church teaches. I don't get it, or maybe I don't agree with it, but the obedience of faith says, but God said it and his church is putting it out there. So what is my role? I can either just accept it blindly, but that's not true obedience as you were talking through the kids with, right? I mean, you, you can go and look why does it te- why does the church why is god revealed and passed down these truths that are applicable to our lives for our betterment so let's go learn why so it can become more who we are that's why that's why we tell parents if you're going to raise kids you need to provide them with the why because if all you're doing is is telling them you can say get out of the road i'm not telling you why <laughs> because you, you're going to get run over. But at some point you have to walk them through the why so they can make it their own. The church does that. I think a lot of people look at the rules and say, I don't like that rule. I don't understand that rule. I don't think about it. Therefore, I'm not going to live it or I'm going to leave it. When in fact, the real answer is to go back to mom and dad and say, can you tell me why? Well, go to the catechism, go look it up, prayerfully go through it. But there's an assent that's due to mom and dad. There's an assent that's due to the church that says, well, you all know better than I do. And even though I don't understand it and don't like it, I'm going to obey it, but I'm not just going to simply obey it blindly. I'm going to go while I'm obeying it and learn why that matters. I think it's critical. And that's what this is about. And so anyway, um, I think there are a couple of neat comments that they make. Number one about the preparation for marriage in this in this section on the obedience of faith is but you know to rediscover and deepen your faith during that time. And then um it says you know it goes further and says that that the sacrament of marriage is the moment of faith of the couple but the sacrament is meant to be carried forward that they're meant to live that out going forward, right? There's a moment when they say, I'm going to be with you until I die, you know, uh, whatever. And when you make all the promises, not whatever, but, but anyway, and I think that it's, you know, there's words that you see here that I think are important. Um, it is the word of God, which we owe the obedience of faith that reveals and fulfills the wise and loving plan of God. And that's what our job is. And it gives us a real share, quoting from this, uh, in the mysterious and uh, mysterious and real share in the very love with which God himself loves humanity. And that gets down to the fact, the way God has designed things is he's given us charge over, right? To, from the very beginning, humans are meant to right, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. So how do you subdue it? You know the rules. Like the like the the engineer that knows mm-hmm. it's got to be this strong, or I need to not jump off a building, um, otherwise I'm going to do it. So it takes place in concrete matters, right? This is not just some philosophical like I'm thinking through this, 
and I can sit here and and kind of argue about it, but then I'm just going to go through my day. It has an impact on the day to day. And so that's why I think this this next paragraph, the profession of faith, which this what what faith is, demands that it be prolonged in the life of the married couple and of the family, and that God who called the couple to marriage continues to call them in marriage. And this is where the rubber meets the road. In and through the events, the problems, the difficulties and circumstances of everyday life, God comes to them. There's the eyes of faith that's trusting, that that says that all the stuff that's happening to me, this is not a surprise to God. I mean, all that's happening, if I've got financial problems, if I've got whatever it is, it's not accidental. And he's coming to us through those events. And revealing and presenting the concrete demands of their sharing in the love of Christ and his church in the particular family, social, and ecclesial situation in which they find themselves. For such a time as this, you are where you are. The, your, your husband and wife are there and those children, not surprises. The stuff that you have to do, cook meals, change diapers, take kids to baseball practice, figure out how to balance the checkbook, Make sure you have enough money. All those concrete things are the way that God comes to you. That's, I mean, most of us don't think that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us don't think that it's in this, that stuff that's the everyday stuff, that that's God coming to us and that we're meant to do it. It, it, it must take place in togetherness. So it's meant to be a unifying thing. Those things that are difficult that you say, we committed to ourselves, so that's part of the faith. We're not, we're not, you know, like I said, my dad used to always say, look, mom and mom and dad, we can have arguments, and we might even have very bad arguments, but we're not getting we're not getting divorced. That that's not happening. Yep. And so they stick with that, but it's through the stuff that causes the angst that couples become closer. And, I, and I've said this before, Dr. Joseph White, I said, okay, if you take communication issues, if you take financial issues, you, if you take issues in sexuality, which are the three big areas that cause problems within, within marriages, what's the difference between the people who ended up divorced and the people who ended up coming closer together? Their obedience and faith to, I promise this, so we have to work through these things does that make i mean that's the obedience of faith yeah um there's there's outliers i know and there's certain circumstances that do it but in general that's the way that we have to approach it so god said it i believe it that's how i'm going to live um anyway so it goes on and saying you know each of us each christian family has a ministry of evangelization for for the romanskis Part of that evangelization is occurring in victory sports. It's happening in their home already, right? There's teaching going on, those type of things, but we have this role of doing it. And so quoting Paul VI, St. Paul VI, right? I don't think he was a saint at the time this was was written. Mm -mm. But now St. Paul VI, Pope Paul VI, the family like the church ought to be a place where the gospel is transmitted and from which the gospel radiates. How does it radiate? It radiates through those daily struggles, right? That's the only way it's in the, it's in the stuff. It's not just radiated because I think that way. It's because I'm actually living it mm-hmm. in a family, which is conscious of this mission. So again, you got to be conscious. Uh, all the members evangelize and are evangelized. The parents not only communicate the gospel of the children, I love this, but from their children, they can themselves receive the same gospel as, as deeply lived by them. And so that's part of the mystery of parenthood and family, that the evangelization is we evangelize our kids. We often, and I've, it, as old as my kids are now, I've seen times when they've either in their response have revealed something about my relationship. So a no, or I, I, I'm not going to obey you, and I have to walk through, hey, listen, I'm doing this for you, not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, that's the same thing that we have to deal with in our relationship with God, is that sometimes the things he sends, the difficulties that come our way, he's coming to us, and we're meant to live through that, right? And so 
but then I've also seen times when my kids have either called me out. I've mentioned that before when I mishandled it. Hey, Dad, you didn't handle that very well with the way I handled it with another child. So they're giving, they're being prophetic too and evangelizing too, and that is happening both directions. I mean, obviously when they're younger, it may be, but even younger, one of the more amazing things that happened to me is when I, you know, I've told this story before, walking down the stairs there, and my son started to fall because he didn't want to hold my hand, and I caught him and pulled him back up, and I said, okay, now he'll follow, and he immediately pulled his hand again Mm -hmm. to walk down, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, what kind of kid am I raising here? And I got the sense of, Trey, (laughs) that's you. I keep holding my hand out. And you keep saying, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and so w- that, that even yeah. in that circumstance, yeah. without, with that's a little kid, revealed something. I was evangelized by that. So keep your eyes open um, for that. We're, we're going through. Um, all right. So that gets us through the prophet side. The so the next priest. one, the priest, we're going on to the priest side, number, okay. two, number two, the priest role, the priestly role. And the title of that is the Christian family as a community in dialogue with God. I love that because I don't think that's off, that's often the way we think of what is, what a priest is, but this, this dialogue, meaning a two way <laughs> communication that's going on. Um, so the church, which is a believing evangelizing community is also a priestly people invested with the dignity and sharing in the power of Christ, the high priest, of the new and eternal covenant. And so that's what we as, as a family are meant to be. We're, we're, we're meant to share that. So again, and it keeps going back. Um, this is the priestly role, which the Christian family can and ought to exercise an intimate communion with the whole church. And this is it. through the daily realities of married and family life in this way, the Christian family is called to be sanctified and to sanctify the ecclesial community in the world. It, so I think lots of times we think that all this little stuff that we have to do every day, right, the little acts of service or the times when our kids get on our nerves or whatever, or when they get in the way, or those are the, those are the things that are meant to be offered. And so I'll just go down. Um, this fact is explicitly recalled by the Second Vatican Council when it says that Jesus Christ abides with them so that just as he loved the church and handed himself over on her behalf, the spouses in a marriage may love each other with perpetual fidelity through mutual self-bestowal or self-gift. For this reason, Christian spouses have a special sacrament by which they are fortified and receive a kind of consecration in the duties and dignity of their state. Are you here? You, what I'm trying to get across is it's, we've got to get back to understanding it's the day-to-day grind, not the big situations. It's the day-to-day grind that is what is meant to be what we're offering, right? How we're in dialogue. So I think it's a fair question. What are you trying to show me, Lord? You know. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's an interesting parallel there with the the very end of the Hail Mary, where we're asking right. Mary to pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And right. kind of what you're saying is that the key is you have to keep an eye on the the little things, the ordinary things, so the now, and also be seeing your life as your family right. life in eternal perspective and There's keeping not, your eye on the ball on those two things is the key. And it's all those other proximate, you know, goals or concerns that gets you into trouble. It's when right. you, it's when you get focused on that middle area between the here and now and, then, and the eternal and you make that middle part kind of the, I'll make kind of the, the argument. authority or the kind of the guiding controlling thing this is the the, this is the this is catechism i don't know what number it's catechism just catechism but i think that the the now what's in front of you at this moment Mm -hmm. is the closest thing to eternity that we'll we'll experience yeah 
because everything is imagination and hope. hope and all those things, which is there's nothing wrong with that. Despair, fear, anxiety. But all the different things that could be going on with looking forward. Right. Right. The now is where we do it. So Because God's in the eternal God's now. in the et- eternal now. I, and I, I'm not, that's definitely catechism. I'm not saying that's what the church teaches, but I think there's some truth there and that we have to gain a perspective that says, if I'm washing dishes, there is an eternal perspective to washing those dishes mm-hmm. that makes it more than just what we think it is mm-hmm. in our human experience. And that's the view that we have to look at. So, um, so Christian spouses and parents are included in the universal call to sanctity. For them, this call to sanctity is specified by the sacrament they have celebrated and is carried out concretely in the realities proper to their conjugal and family life. This gives rise to the grace and requirement of an authentic and profound conjugal and family spirituality that draws its inspiration from the themes of creation, covenant, cross, resurrection, and sign. So all those things, without going into into them, point to, again, that we're receiving this grace, which God is trying to meet us in the mundane, I think. And what we think is mundane, I've, I, this is an aside, but I think if you think about the way, he didn't come on chariots into Bethlehem, right? He didn't come out of the sky. He was less than ordinary <laughs> where he went. He comes to us in the Eucharist, which is just a piece of bread. He didn't choose to do something fancy, snazzy, a gourmet meal. We're going to cook a gourmet meal, and that's going to be me. He comes through something that's very ordinary. And so I think we have to get back to the extraordinary is found in the ordinary, and the thing that separates those two within us is our not being open to the reality that those things, that day-to-day stuff, is exactly where God wants to meet us and is exactly what we're supposed to do in fulfilling those duties. We're supposed to clean up the house. We're supposed to at least have enough money to pay your pay your work towards budgeting. I mean, all the different things that you have to do that are a struggle are those things. And then it ends with this, the Christian marriage, like other sacraments, whose purpose is to sanctify people, to build up the body of Christ, and finally to give worship to God, is in itself a liturgical action glorifying God in Jesus Christ and in the church. It's a liturgical action. John Paul II in Theology of the Body calls even the conjugal union, a liturgical act. I mean, what's a liturgical? It's a public act. It's, it's an act that's more than just something going on inside myself. So the way we live our lives is sort of a liturgy. I've always wanted to write a book called The Liturgy of Life because that's the mm. stuff that we do every day, the way we talk to our kids, the way we grocery shop, the way we help others is all part of that. And so... um Anyway, we've got to get back to the sense of that. So just there's a line here that comes from Vatican II that I think I'm going to do the lead up to. The gift and responsibility of translating into daily living the sanctification bestowed on the married couple is important. So the same, same sacrament confers on them the grace and moral obligation of transforming their whole lives into a spiritual sacrifice. That's the priestly thing, right? How do you transform that? That's a lot of that is having the faith to say, I hate washing the dishes. I hate mowing the lawn. I hate, you know, whatever. But that's stuff that is fulfilling my duties. And when I fulfill my duties and I offer them as a spiritual sacrifice, then they have value in the eyes of God as long as I'm, again, uniting myself. So every day should be, should begin with a morning offering. I'm offering you the trials, the struggles, all those type of things, the things I don't like to do, but I need to do because that's where I find myself. The yard's too long, <laughs> whatever. And then um, finally, it gets, it talks about the Eucharist and penance. And um, again, point of the years, it's the very source of Christian marriage is what, what he says here. Christian spouses encountered the source from which their own marriage covenant flows is interiorly structured and continually renewed. 
So going to Mass every day is participating in that very strength. It's Jesus himself that is kind of helps us be transformed because we're participating in his complete and total self-gift, receiving that, then that strengthens us, that gives us the grace to do that. And then it goes on to the second part of it. So Eucharist is important, but reconciliation and penance is important. Why? Because in family life, in family life, so we learn that we should name and claim our sins and then go forward asking for forgiveness and making commitment to do our best to try not to do those things again, guess what? That's what has to happen inside a marriage, right? I mean, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do, we're going to do things not mistakenly. We're going to do things we shouldn't do that actually are going to hurt other people in our family. We have to be a place where we can go and ask for forgiveness and then hopefully be the person that gives forgiveness when it's asked of us, which is why we also never do sorry in our family except for accidents. If somebody does something that actually negatively impacts, then that's, that's it. Um, they need to ask for forgiveness to teach them that. And then there's a, there's a section here on, on prayer and the fact that we should pray together. Again, think of it, the church, the church centered on the Eucharist centered on the sacrament of recon- reconciliation and penance. That should be central to our life, right? Jesus is there. What's the church? A place of prayer. So praying together. Uh, they even talk about the fact here, which we never did, but I but wish we had uh, talked about the need to pray the divine office even together. Once while, I think y'all do night, night prayer we do. together, which is awesome. And so we have to teach them how to pray. We have to teach them that it's important to pray. So going on a trip or before you eat, those type of things. And then um, anyway, and then the, the last thing, so the, the first two were on, um, were on, I'm sorry. Prophet uh, and priest? Pro, prophet and priest. Prophet is, um, prophet and priest had to do with the, um, what was the term he used? Uh, uh, believing in an in, in evangelizing community, and then the the priest was uh, one in dialogue with God. So we're going through this life, and we're offering these sacrifices that we make to God the Father in and through the Eucharist. And then the last thing is um, the last piece of it is on uh, a being a loving community. What does that mean? I mean, a loving community means self gift. For the sake of the other. And that's where the idea of kingship is that's different than this world. We're not meant to lord it over others. We're meant to um, be at the service of others, right? So seeing your kingship, the waking the kids up, changing the diapers, making them dinner, getting them to class, that's all being a king, that's all the kingly part of it, to serve others. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get the opportunity uh, a lot. So the Christian family of this loving community of persons is kingly to the extent that it does serve I, one I think that's a really difficult challenge as a, as a parent because it's, it's easy to fall into um, the kids are supposed to be there for my convenience or the, the children are supposed to uh, do what I need them to do to make my life easier. Easy. Right. Um, well, no, better. And, right. And I think there is a sense in this world where they're looked as like prizes, you know, and, and there's, I think we can take legitimate pride in what our kids have accomplished, but, but if they accomplish anything that is, driven by God, revealed by God in them, and you're doing you're all your remember, we're just stewards. We're stewards of those children. They're God's children. They were given to us. And so we need to, within our family, be at their service. And that's part of fulfilling our kingly duty. So if you look at all this that's happening, and God is coming there to meet us in in those moments, right? And that's the dialogue, the priestly part. If we can recognize that it's in those things, those day-to-day things, that 
he's coming to us. And those are meant when they're sacrifices, when they're difficulties, when they're hard to do or things you don't like to do, to offer those up um, together with Christ. That's why I think the divine off, I'm not the divine office, the um, divine mercy chaplet says, you know, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved son. Well, we're meant to be part of that body. The way do we do that again, consciously to say, I'm offering today all this stuff, even stuff I don't know that's going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to give it to you in union with that. And I'm going to offer him to you, Father. That's the Catholic, that's the Christian way to be priest, prophet, and king. So while I'm, my kingship is in serving them and all the sacrifices that go along with that, and in doing that, if I'm offering that up as a priest to them, then I'm fulfilling that. And if I'm delivering them the truth, what they need to correct what they're really good at to show to help point those things out that I'm that I'm being the prophet. And in living that out, the church says we radiate in living those things out, we radiate that out to the world in and through our family and as we go out, as our kids go out, hopefully they live that out as well. And so anyway, that was a quick view. <laughs> Of that, of that part. Hopefully it was helpful, but I, I just would encourage you all to ask for the eyes of faith to see the daily stuff as being that which allows us to live that priestly, prophetic, and kingly role. And if we do that, then we'll let the world know that there's mortal, that there's life. So anyway, uh, always remember, again, as we draw the end here, remember Uh, Only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And he will, I promise. God bless you. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Talk to you next week. Bye.